Let's bow our heads. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you so much for this morning. We do thank you for getting us up this morning. A new day you've given us. It's a gift, Lord. We thank you. Thank you that we can get to church safely or we can rise from bed and watch. We thank you that you are a God that's worthy of praise, worthy to listen to, and that, Lord, you love us. You have our best in mind. So, Lord, I pray as we hear your word, we pray that you would help our hearts and our ears and our minds to be open to you, and may your spirit lead us and speak to us, we pray in Jesus' name. And Lord, please keep the drivers safe as they're driving the youth back home. Please watch over them, Lord, and we ask for a blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, So I've been talking about our dog recently, and I mentioned last message that this dog is like a sermon, a pastor's gift, because all these analogies, you know, comes up. But uh, ever since we got uh, Michaela, this puppy, my YouTube feed, you know, my social media feeds and stuff, is filled with how-to videos. You just put in one video, how to train your puppy to something, and your whole timeline is flooded with how-to videos, you know? Uh, of all the, there's a lot of like garbage on YouTube. I don't know how many of you are active on YouTube, but there's a lot of like garbage stuff on there. But there's a lot of good stuff on there as well. A lot of how-to videos. How many of you use YouTube to, to look for how to do something? All right, so a good number of you. All right, good. All right, so it's helpful, right? Helpful to look up how to like fix a washing machine or how to like build a car or whatever it is, right? How many of you can relate to this though? You found a how-to video, or maybe if you're not really into the YouTube and stuff, you, maybe you cook with a recipe book or uh, instruction manuals. You buy furniture or something like that. You look at the instruction manual. How many of you can relate to this? You watch a video of how to do something, or you read a recipe, or you see something online. You're like, oh, that looks great. That looks easy. I'm going to try it, right? And so you try it. But it doesn't quite come out like you saw. And you relate to that? You, you try to do a recipe, and then you look at the picture above the recipe, and then you look at your plate. You look at the picture, you look at the plate, like, this doesn't look like what I'm, what I, what I looked up. Or you try to put together furniture, and you finish it, and you're like, this is a little more wobbly than it's supposed to, right? If you've ever bit, uh, bought Ikea furniture, you know what I mean, right? Every Ikea furniture that is like, oh, it's a little wobbly. I thought it was going to be more secure than that, right? My dog, I look at my dog, or our dog, and I look and say, hey, how come my dog's not acting like the dog in the video, right? I'm trying to do the same thing. How-to videos, you know, it's like, it sounds good, But it's not always as easy as it looks. It doesn't always turn out the same way as you saw in the video or you followed instructions, right? Being told to do something is one thing. But executing it effectively is another. To to learn how to do something is one thing. But to actually do it And do it effectively is another. Sometimes it's a lot easier said than done, right? 
Well, this message today is kind of a two-parter from our, my last message a couple weeks ago. Last week, or a couple weeks ago, the message was titled, Living in a Broken World. And last time, I gave a lot of verses. I recognize that. I gave a lot of verses that Sunday. And I kind of, I, I gave it a lot, and sometimes you can give so much that it's kind of hard to digest. You know what I mean? Like if you've gone to a restaurant, and you're a little overambitious, and you filled your plate with food, and you know, you realize, wait, I can't finish all this. So what do you do? You take it home, right? You put it in the bo- take home box, you take it home, and then what do you end up doing? You put it in the fridge. And then it ends up going further, further back in the fridge, right? So then your leftovers, that thing you didn't fully digest, you didn't eat, it gets left in the fridge and eventually it goes to waste, right? Well, I don't want that to happen. I know I gave you a lot. So my my hope is that we can get all all the information, but we can digest it. We can chew on it. So that way... It can be health to our bodies, right? I don't want all those things to go away. So I wanted to take a little bit more time to get us to digest on what it means to live in a broken world. How are we to live our lives as believers in Christ knowing the circumstances that are around us, right? I want us to know, like, what does that even look like? How do we even do this? It's one thing to be told this is how we ought to be or what to do. It's another thing to know what it looks like. So I want us to take a little bit more time for that. And we've been focusing a lot on the four areas, four areas where the enemy attacks us to distort our understanding of what it means to be created in the image and likeness of God. I know I've spent a lot of time on that, right? What it means to be created in the image of God. And when I say the enemy attacks us this way, I'm not, like, I wanted to clarify, I'm not saying that Satan himself is literally on your shoulder attacking you, right? If Satan is literally on your shoulder attacking you, you must be a pretty important person, okay? When I say Satan, I'm talking about his influence, okay? We say that a lot, oh, Satan is really getting at me, right? I really hope that it's not really Satan himself, right? Satan's not omnipresent, but his influence is certainly there. So when I say the enemy attacks us, I'm, I'm referring to the influence. And we see that influence attacking in these four areas, particularly when it comes to our understanding of what it means to be created in the image and likeness of God. And those four areas we've been looking at, selfish pride, right? Where we want to be our own God. We want to dictate. We want to set the standard. We want what we want. The second area, self-image, how we see ourselves. And so some people struggle with depression, self-hatred, all sorts of mental health issues, right? The third way, sexuality, and that is prominent throughout culture today, specifically certain issues. Now, I know that there's some younger ears here, so I'm going to try to minimize as much as I can on certain terms, but you guys know what I'm talking about if you've been here with us, right? That particular area is all around us. And the fourth area, sanctity of life, and which we're going to be getting into in the coming several messages. So we're going to see how each of these four areas 
was actually involved in the fall. We're going to look at that in chapter 3 of Genesis in the coming weeks. But we spent many weeks on this area of sexuality. And trust me when I say this is not a favorite topic of mine. I know we've been on it for a while. You may be thinking, all right, Pastor Mike, can we move on to another subject? Trust me when I say I am eager to. I am eager to move on to another topic. But the burden has been because we're so oversaturated in our culture. You can't go out the door or drive down a freeway or turn on the TV or open your phone without the images, the messaging flooding our eyes and all around us. And it's to the point that it's affecting the generations the children, right? The younger generation, they're not even allowed to have a childhood without this messaging coming into their education. And now I just mentioned that I want to try to keep the the terminology to a limit today because of, you know, audience who may be here. But in reality, if your child is in a public school, chances are they're getting it at kindergarten. I don't know if you realize that. That's where our culture is today, right? So what I may say here is probably something that they've already probably heard. If your child's in third grade or above, they've probably heard it before. That's the reality of things, right? But our children today are not allowed to have a childhood innocent of these things, right? Childhood should not, you shouldn't have to discuss certain issues. They shouldn't have to know about certain things. But that's the reality today. The world parades immorality and specific kinds of immorality as a badge of honor, right? Disregarding the dignity of what it means to be created in the image of God. So certain immorality is like a badge of honor for them. That's the reality that we're facing today. So to clarify what sexual immorality is, What we've been looking at is sexual behaviors outside of God's design. Outside of what was designed between a husband and a wife, a man and a woman, reserved for the marriage relationship. Anything outside of that is sexual immorality. Because God saved it specifically for the marriage relationship between the husband and wife, the man and woman. That was God's design and intention. Outside of that is all man's immorality. But if also how we're going, the trends of how it's going, if all sexual desires and inclinations can be accepted as natural, then all deviant behaviors must be acceptable. Right? That's where we're going. If all those desires are natural then any behaviors from those desires must be acceptable. That's the messaging where we're going. That's why it's like, I only have about maybe, what, 40 minutes with you all on one week, but outside of that, we're getting inundated every day. So I really want to help encourage us to have a sense of truth. And I mentioned a couple weeks ago, when you're never presented, when you're never presented the truth, you are vulnerable to all the lies. When you're never presented truth, you're vulnerable to all the lies. For your children, 
for the young generation, if they're being told at a young age what is true, but it's a lie, they will have no idea it's a lie, right? So they're going to grow up believing a certain sense of truth. So that's why it's important. And it's a challenge to give, convince people that they're believing in a lie. Have you ever had a conversation with somebody who has bought into a lie and you know it's not true and you're trying to tell them the truth but they're not having any of it? I don't know if you've ever had that experience before. People who get involved with cults, they're brainwashed by the leaders with bits of truth but distorted so that they will believe, right? That's what happens. And so if you don't really know the clear truth, you're going to be vulnerable to all sorts of lies because lies are tied with bits of truth but distorted. We're going to see that in chapter 3 with the fall where Adam and Eve and the serpent, right? So people are deceived and people are more convinced about the idea of wanting something to be true than the actual truth itself. Have you ever heard that? Have you had that experience before? You're talking to somebody and they themselves, they'd rather, they, they, they like the idea of something to be true, whether it's true or not. And that's enough influence them to believe. You know what I mean? They're like, I don't know if this is really true, but it feels good to me. I want to believe it, so I'm going to believe it no matter what. And that's where we're at as a society and as a culture today. It's less about what is actually true and more about what I want to be true. And that's a lot of the dangers with the younger generations going on. And I'm not talking about teenagers. I'm talking about the generation after that, the young adults. Even the millennials and even part of a Gen X group, right? It's not about the absolute truth. It's about what I want to be true. And if I want it to be true, then it can be true to me. And then I can live whatever, how comfortable I want. So it's hard to convince people that what you're believing in is a lie. Because they convince themselves, if I believe it is true, then it's true for me. So it leads us to the idea of how are we to then live in a broken world? How are we to live as Christians knowing this is what's going on around us? And even reconciling for ourselves, right? How we live, how to live a God-honoring life. And a couple weeks ago, I mentioned 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3. Paul says, this is the will of God for you, your sanctification. That is that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God. Verse 7, for God has not called us for the purpose of impurity, but in sanctification. Paul says, this is God's desire for you. This is his will for you. This is what he wants for you. He wants your sanctification. What does that mean? We talked about what sanctification means. Your purification. To be made clean, consecrated, set apart for God. That's God's desire for us. That was God's intention for us from the beginning, that we would be set apart for God. Notice, remember we talked about creation. We were created uniquely above all other creation. We were created in the image and likeness of God, set apart for him. 
in his likeness, to be his representation. So God's intention for us from the very beginning was to be a set apart for him. And those of us who are in Christ, his will for us, his desire for us is for our sanctification, to be set apart for him, to be made clean, to be holy, to be holy as our Father God is holy. If you remember that, remember from weeks ago, we talked about how we're created. When we're children, we naturally want to be like our parents until our parents give us reason to not want to be. You know what I mean? But we naturally look up to our parents and we model our parents until they give us reason not to. And then we say, oh, I don't want to be, I don't want to do this, I don't want to do that. But that's how God created us, so that we can have a natural desire to what? Be like Him, to be like God. So we were meant to be set apart from God, but what sin did, sinful desires did, is separated us from God. We were supposed to be set apart for God, but what sin did is separated us from God. So Paul says, God's desire for us was to be set apart for him, our sanctification, to be made clean, to be holy, set apart for him. So you may think, well, why does Scripture specifically warn against sexual immorality when it comes to our sanctification? If you look in, in, throughout the New Testament, there's a very specific warning against this kind of immorality. You may wonder why that particular, because there's so many different desires we struggle with. Why is this so important, such a strong warning against this type of immorality? Well, there's a lot of dangers to sexual immorality, sexual temptations. One of it is the damage how we see ourselves. Sexual temptations damage how we see ourselves. It often leads us to have unhealthy expectations of ourselves. We start to define ourselves by an image that we feel like we need to portray or we need to act out. And it also devalues us. It leads us to do things that devalues who we are because it's based on an image that we see. The second damage, why this is so dangerous, is that it damages how we see other people, especially people of the opposite sex, right? These temptations damages how we view women, how we view men. And then we put certain expectations or certain measurements of value upon those people based on those temptations and those expectations. And we begin to devalue people. You look at social media, if you're on social media at all, it doesn't take a while for your timeline to get flooded with images that you don't want to see. And most of them are of Men or women portraying themselves a certain way and they think it's raising their value, but really what it's doing is devaluing them. And they don't realize it. The third way of damage is that it damages our entire being, our mind, our body, and our spirit. These temptations affect how we think. 
how we see people. It leads us to damage our own bodies. We do things to our bodies that we wouldn't want to do. And it damages our spirit, our relationship with God. And so you look at these areas, and there's no wonder why this is a repeated warning to the church. Because this particular temptation affects you in so many different ways. And it, it, it changes how you understand yourself as a child of God created in his image and in his likeness. So Paul charges that you abstain from that immorality, that each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God. What does that mean by possessing your own vessel in sanctification and honor? When you're in Christ, you're given the Holy Spirit, right? The Holy Spirit, God's Spirit, empowers you, enables you to be pleasing to God. You can be pleasing to God because of the power of the Holy Spirit in your life, right? You can choose to live a God-honoring life if you abide in Christ. So the Holy Spirit works on you. And he works on you daily. Did you know that? Some days you don't feel like it. But God is working on you every single day to be set apart for him. Some days you go backwards, right? Some days you struggle. Some days you do things that you wish you didn't do. And you kind of step back on that process, it seems like. But each day, if you have Christ in your life, each day going forward, he's working in you. I like what Paul says in Philippians 1.6. For I'm confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. That he is working on you every single day. But we must understand this for ourselves before we can help others. If we understand how the Lord helps us in our sinful desires, then we will be able to help others right? If we can understand how God helps us, then we can show other people why they need Jesus, why Jesus makes a difference in your life. I like what James says in chapter 2, verse 18, show me your faith without works, and I will show you my faith by my works. What's he saying? Say, look, you can believe that's great, but where's the evidence of your faith? Because I will show you my faith by the product, by the works, what God is doing. If we can show people God's impact in our life, specifically with our desires, then we show people how they need Jesus, the effect Jesus has in our lives. Wouldn't you love to watch a how-to video how to be a godly man or woman. And you watch that video and like instantly you live a godly life. Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't that be wonderful? Wouldn't that be great for all how-to videos to be like that? You can watch a how-to video, boom, instant. You live a godly life. You can put up a dresser and it's perfect. Train your dog just like that, right? But reality, that's not the case. It doesn't work that way. I want to share seven keys, 
Seven keys to living in a broken world. And we're talking about our sanctification. So I'm trying to, I'm trying to show what this may look like. Okay, so here's seven keys. One, starve the harmful cravings. Starve the harmful cravings. If any of you have been on a diet before, you know what this means, right? Starve harmful cravings. You notice in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 3, Paul says, abstain from sexual immorality. In 1 Corinthians 6, 18, he says, flee from it. Run away from that immorality. And in Galatians, he says, now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. In other words, those sinful passions and desires that you struggle with was crucified on the cross. In other words, you reckon yourself dead to those things. It's done away with. It's not part of you anymore. It's not who you are anymore. It doesn't define you anymore. It doesn't control you anymore. Right? We have to learn to starve the harmful cravings. We have to be willing to cut out what tempts us and learn to not obey those desires. Max is a gift that keeps on giving. Training a dog to go on a walk can be frustrating. How many of you, have, how many of you are dog owners? How many of you have tried or you are trying or you gave up trying to train your dog to walk with you without, you know, it walking you? Right? There's a difference. You can walk your dog or your dog can walk you. We want to train to walk our dog. It can be frustrating because dogs naturally are sniffers and they naturally go for whatever pleasures them. So when you take a dog for a walk, they will just go, boom, smell. And you're like, come on, come on. He's like, no, 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 this is a good smell. There's something good here. And he goes off, oh, go here. And so you're like this. You're going like this, right? That's natural for a dog. That's what dogs do. They pursue what they desire, what they smell, and that's what they go for. So you must train them to deny their impulses and stay focused. Who are they focused on? According to all the videos that have popped up on my feed, their focus is supposed to be on you, not on everything else around. Not the other dogs, not the other people, not the smells, not whatever the dogs have left. Their focus is on you. That was the key to training a dog. We're a lot like dogs, aren't we? Right? People can show a lot of self-discipline. Whether you're Christian or not. A lot of people overcome addictions. A lot of people can avoid doing things they shouldn't do. You don't have to be a Christian to quit addictions, right? I think we can all say that. But being a Christian is not just about what not to do. We are not given freedom to just do as we please. We're free to be pleasing and honoring to God. What makes a difference from Christians is not what we can't do, but it's what we can do. And that is we are free to be pleasing to God. 
our sanctification is not simply what not to do, but what to do. Now Max here, Max loves to find things to chew on. This is the nature of a dog. And if you're training a dog, you can scold him about what not to eat, what not to chew on. Max, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't eat this, don't do this. You can get mad at the dog, right? But this is not healthy discipline for a dog. I'm learning this. Because dogs naturally chew. Max also has a lot of energy. So what we had to do, what we discovered, is that Max loves peaches. He will get a peach and not just want to eat it, but it's like a ball. So what he does, he gets the peach and he plays with himself. He throws the peach and he goes after the peach. Throws it again he goes all over. It's just like a game for him. And then soon he will go get that peach and then settle down and just enjoy eating the peach. Why do I show that besides it being a cute clip? Because God designed us with desires. But he wants us to enjoy the pleasures that he's given us in a God-honoring way. So the first key was to starve harmful cravings, but the second thing is to take pleasure in God's blessings. God created us to enjoy pleasures and have desires, but where we go wrong is when we attempt to satisfy those things in ways that is dishonoring to God. So we have to find ways that, you know what, is going to be pleasing to God. We have to, and there's a lot of people who have to really relearn this. Marriage is a blessing. Let me say this again. Let me say this again. Marriage is a blessing. Your wife is not a ball and chain. Marriage is not a death sentence for either of you. Why do I say that? It's because the image of marriage today has crumbled. It is not valued as highly as it ought to be. So marriage seems like, oh, something that I might have to do down the road. Or marriage is something like, oh, I don't know if I want to do. Children are a blessing. Yes, the three-year-old, the 13-year-old, the 23-year-old, the 43-year-old, however old your children may be if you're a parent here, they are a blessing. Singleness is a blessing. Yes, marriage is not the ultimate goal in life. Children are not the ultimate goal in life. See, we have to see and be able to enjoy the blessings that God gives us in this life. But we, we get so caught up in things. We get cut, so caught up in certain standards that we don't realize these things are blessings. We have to find ways. Enjoy God's nature. It is a blessing. We have to find ways to replace those damaging cravings that we have with things that are a blessing that God says, you know what, enjoy. 
Enjoy what I've given you. Enjoy your kids, parents. If you still have young kids, enjoy them where they're at. Because you're not going to have that time for very long. When they get older, enjoy that they're older. Whatever it may be. Don't let stress stress you out so much that you don't enjoy the blessings God has given you. Third thing, i got to get moving. Third thing, spend meaningful time with the Lord. You must spend meaningful time with the Lord. Meaningful prayer. I'm not just talking about the quick prayer. Lord, I'm in trouble today. Help me. Amen. Lord, get this guy out of my lane. He's driving too slow. All right, that's my prayer. Meaningful time in prayer with God. That's not rushed. That's not panicked. Meaningful conversation with the Lord. Also, meaningful time in His Word. Don't just read other people's words. Read this. I haven't emphasized this enough lately. Bring your Bibles, please. Please. Why? Because this kind of reading is different than this kind of reading. It's different. It's different. Meaningful time in the Word is so important because it feeds your spirit. It feeds you truth. Don't just rely on my words or another pastor's words, their commentary on it. Read the Word of God. The third thing, meaningful time and quiet. That means listening. Have meaningful time of quiet. Some of you may think that is impossible, Pastor Mike. You don't know my life, my kids, my pets, my spouse, my work, my whatever it is, my gaming. I can't have quiet. I have to play. It's not quiet when I play. Well, there's a reason. You need quiet. Meaningful time to listen to God speak to you. You have to learn that so that you can quiet yourself before God. Fourth thing, meaningful time in worship. Not just on Sunday for three songs or four songs. In your personal time, have time of worship. Why is that important? Because you're less focused on yourself and you're focused on God. And if all the worship songs that you're listening to is very self-focused, then you need to mix it up a bit. So that your focus in your worship time is on God. Because we spend too much time in our day focused on ourselves, right? Everything is revolved around ourselves. We need time to let God be our focus. So we need meaningful time with God in those areas. Fourth thing, be learners. Be learners. Learn things. YouTube, like I said, has a lot of garbage stuff, but you can learn a lot. There's a lot of material out there. Be learners. Learn when you're, if you have somebody in your life that you've been witnessing to, or you know they're struggling with certain sins or certain desires, certain lifestyles, learn from them. Take time to ask them, so teach me. What is it like? What do you believe? Why do you believe? Let me learn from you. 
so that you can better understand people so that you know how to be a witness to them. Parents, learn your children. Ask them. Okay, you're butting heads. Okay, let's take a step from it. Let me, I'm not going to say anything. You teach me. What are you thinking? Why do you think that way? What are you hearing from there? Right? We have to be learners so that we can better help other people. But more importantly, we have to be students of God's word, right? I like this first, Second Peter. Second Peter 1. And as, ha- as, and as we have the prophetic word made sure to which you do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. I love that. It's so poetic. I love that, how he puts it. Take that word like it's a light shining in a dark place. That's God's word. We need light in this dark place we're living in. So spend that time. Be learners. Fifth thing, stand certain in God's truth. I'm not going to spend a lot of time with this. We spent a lot of time with this in the past couple weeks. You have to stand firm in the truth of God's word. You have to know the truth of God's word to be certain in it. Because the enemy is going to try to knock you off. He's going to try to knock you off. I, I, if there was, I know there's some youth here, and they may be on their way, whatever it is. This year, your teachers, your peers, whatever it is, are going to try to knock you off your faith. You've got to be able to stand firm. Sixth thing, model after Jesus. Model after Jesus. Be willing to shine in the world around you. A couple weeks ago, I mentioned the testimony of Sophia Galvin. She's a young lady who transitioned and then detransitioned because of the effects of what that transition did to her. She later came to Christ. I believe she detransitioned before she came to Christ. And I mentioned how I've heard many testimonies of those who detransitioned or lived a certain lifestyle and no longer lives a certain lifestyle. And they shared that the, one of the biggest influence of them coming to Christ was the influence of the believers, the Christians who shared Christ with them. They shared with kindness, with compassion, but with certainty. They did not compromise the truth. They didn't wishy-washy the truth. They were certain of the truth, but they were kind. They were compassionate. We have to be willing to model after Jesus. All throughout Mark, we saw Jesus ministering to the people. He received those who humbled themselves and came to him. But he didn't do it so, yeah, you just be whoever you are, you just come and I'll just accept you. He accepted them, but they left changed. That's the important thing. Jesus showed compassion. He received people, but it was so that they may be changed by him. I shared conviction about conviction. Conviction conviction does not have to come at the cost of grace and compassion. Kindness and peace should not be abandoned while being on the right side of an issue. We got to be sure. And the people we're dealing with around us, we can have conviction, 
but we don't have to sacrifice it with kindness. We don't have to match volume with volume. If someone's a screamer, someone's a yeller, someone's a hater, you don't have to match it. You don't have to match it. In fact, it'll be worse if you match it. Just say, I understand. I understand you're upset. I understand that this bothers you. But let me just share with you and let that be. Let God's word wrestle with that, that heart. You don't have to match that volume. Last thing, be in community. Hebrews 10, let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. We need to be in community so that we can help each other. I say that because I don't think there's enough of that going on in the, in the church. We're afraid. We're afraid of what people might think of us. We're afraid of being rejected. We're afraid of being hurt. All those things. But are we encouraging each other? At the very least, we don't have to be like psychotherapists for each other. We don't need to know all the details for each other, but we can at least be there to pray with each other, to help each other, to encourage each other, to help each other show each other how to love in Christ. Because if we do it alone, it's hard. It's hard to do this alone. It's hard to be set apart for God with no one around you. Even the prophet Elijah was like, God, I feel like I'm alone. I'm the only one left. Right? We need to be in that community to help each other. Here's the seven areas. I'll end with this. I'll end with this. If you notice, the, the New Testament is written to the church. You ever notice that? It's actually written to the church. It's not written to the unbelievers. You know what I mean? It's written for the church to understand so that they can communicate it and show it to the unbelieving world. But it's, it's for the church that the church may know so that the church can communicate this to the unbelieving world. We have to know and understand what God, how God created us to be so that we could show people why they need Christ. Why they need Christ in their life. It's not like a recipe cooking from a recipe. How many of you cook from a recipe book? Anybody cook from a cookbook? You cook from a cookbook, it's exact measurements, right? You don't follow those measurements, it's all out of whack, right? My wife one time tried to ask my mom how to cook Korean food, right? My mom says, well, you know, you just get this, get the ingredients, you throw some in there, you do a little bit of this, a bit of this, a bit of this. She's like, well, how much? She's like, well, you know, you just do this, you just do this, do this, do this, do this, do this. What does that mean? Right? Because certain cooking, you, you cook after a while, you just know by sight. You know by taste. You know by feel. You know by amount. And some days in our Christian life, we need a little more ingredients of one thing than the other sometimes. Some days you need to spend more time in quiet than you did yesterday. Some days you need more time in prayer than you did yesterday. Some days you need to spend more time in the Word than you did yesterday. Sometimes you need to just spend a whole day with God and just let all those things. 
Some, our daily life, sometimes it's like that kind of cooking, right? It's measurements like that. It's not always, okay, 10 minutes here, 10 minutes here, 10 minutes here, 10 minutes there. Because those things in itself doesn't do it. It's the time letting God work in you in through those days in your life, in those times. I hope it's an encouragement to us that that's God's desire for us to be set apart for him. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. Lord, we come before you. We thank you. We thank you, Lord, for your goodness, your mercies. Lord, I know there's a lot of people hurting and struggling. Some are wrestling with how to reconcile with the world around them and their faith. And Lord, you desire our good to be set apart for you. So Lord, I pray we would be that for you. We would be set apart for you, Lord God. We thank you in Jesus' name.